Hi and welcome to The Practice Gap, the podcast for closing the gap between the practice you have and the one that you want. I'm Elizabeth, a chiropractor, a business owner, coach and entrepreneur on a mission to help you move from frustration and overwhelm to clarity, focus and joy in practice. Well, hello, Atla, and welcome back. Thank you. We are glad that you are still here <laughs> from oh, Stavanger. This is, this is good. I would love to pick your brain about this subject. When you are a new chiropractor or worked for a couple of years and you realize that the skills you have, uh, adjusting skills, could be better, where do I start and what? do I do and how do I become an excellent adjuster? Oh boy. Well, it all starts with one thing and that's visualization. I tell people, you know, whenever I adjust someone and even after 31 years and you think this should be just totally automatic and stuff, it's like I put my my, my x-ray goggles on, you know, because I can, if, if I'm setting up on an L5, maybe I'll choose a mammillary contact I can visualize the L5 under my hand. I can I can picture where the spinous is and the and the multifidi and the and the facet joint and the disc. So I visualize anatomy, both statically and also dynamically. The the biomechanics. That's all. It's like a video that goes in my in my head. And then my favorite subject in in uh, high high school was was physics, and and I love vectors, yeah. and and I can see the different vectors. Uh, so, visualization for me is is key and is number one. What artifacts uh, should I use uh, to visualize it? Is it enough with the, the spines we all have in the chiropractic office, or is there uh, videos online? How can I? a better visualizer on how the bones moves naturally all of the above will will help you but i really like the the really good plastic models that are out there Mm -hmm. and when i mention a good plastic models the the spine that has a really hard fixed plastic disc forget about it Mm. if you can find a spine that is movable both in the sacroiliac joints and also between the different vertebra, but but it has like this sponge material. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are so good, and yeah, you're gonna wear them out, so you're gonna have to buy new ones after a few years if you if you bend and adjust this <laughs> thing. But but it's worth it. Do you have a, a brand that uh, I could like put as a link? No, <laughs> no, <Nope. Nope. laughs> I, I don't. But uh, but but some you feel it. You pick up one of these that is just hard plastic. Everything's yeah. hard plastic, and it just doesn't feel right. And it, nothing is compatible with with what you feel on a real patient. Mm. But the ones with the sponge material, uh, and also one where you can loosen the sacroiliac joint, so you can actually check no, for mo- motion in the sacroiliac joints. It's it's really important uh, to have one of those. So if I would order something online, I could um, send off an email asking what kind of material is it. So like, um, what are some questions I should uh, drop down in my little email? No, I, just, to the I think the most important is that you have that that sponge material as as your discs. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then, but you know, 
they offer these at, at all kinds of chiropractic conferences and stuff too yeah. and, and and usually they have both yeah. and, and you can actually go and, and test both and and you immediately feel the difference between the two yeah so then so the <laughs> take home message go to a seminar <laughs> yeah there you go <laughs> talk to the vendors <laughs> feel the spine and see if it's good enough and yeah. then invest in them because they are quite expensive and that's that that's correct and another thing i think people should have uh, these um, these anatomy models of the extremities as well mm-hmm. the, the ankle joint the elbow the shoulder uh, a knee and especially when it comes to the al- uh, ankle and foot you have some that are the german made and they're really solid and they'll last a lifetime but you can't move the individual bones <laughs> but you have some that that are hooked up with with some kind of springy material like an elastic band mm-hmm. where you can actually move the the individual bones in relationship to each other the, those are great but those that are wired together with like really hard uh, metal wires forget it that's just one rigid piece that you can't do much with so it has to be movable it has to be spongy it has to be elastic you know so you can actually play with the the, the joints in relationship to each other so i realize now i have to get a new foot because my foot is super rigid That's downstairs right. and it uh, will also last for a lifetime so yeah. the take home message here is do not get anything that life lasts for a lifetime yeah. Okay, so now uh, I have my uh, great spine. Mm-hmm. I'm moving it around. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm visualizing. What do I do then? There are two main things when it comes to the spine. Look at the facet joints and, and their orientation. Uh, and you look at the facet joints in the, in the lumbar spine, uh, how, how they interlock, you know, and how in extension they'll prevent the, the body from over-rotating and, and how when you flex, it's easier to rotate. And, and you see that. Uh, a lot of the cases we get in, especially with acute low back pain, is usually a combination when people have, you know, flexed their low back and turned at the same time. And and just looking at the facet joints, you can kind of understand why that why people are more vulnerable there than if if you're in a little bit more extended or or, or, or natural state. And if you go further up and you look at uh, the facet joints in the in the thoracic spine, you see how flat they are, and you understand why a rotational component is much more uh, key in the thoracic spine than it is in uh, in the lumbar spine. Mm-hmm. And then you move up to the cervicals again, and and you have like a hybrid of the two, where, where the angle is slanted a little bit more forward. Plus, you need to encounter also the joint shalushka that you have with the. Uh, the the body uh, between the vertebra up there and and then it makes sense why we need to approach these different areas you know with a little bit different technique and with a little bit different mindset because setting a mid dorsal is not the same as setting a mid lumbar or a mid cervical understanding and visualizing the the anatomy and biomechanics after you play around with this you'll you'll understand a little bit more the biomechanics it makes you understand why you have to do the things you do. Uh, there's another thing. If you put the spine into its normal uh, uh, position where you have uh, a lumbar lordosis and you have the, the original uh, thoracic kyphosis and then the cervical lordosis, if you look at the plane line of the disc, mm-hmm. it also makes sense, especially if you lay it down. Say you lay it down in, in a side posture position on your bench and you understand when you're set up on an L5 that in order to move that L5, you have to lift the vertebra a little bit just just to make sure that you don't jam the, the facets. 
And then you see the plane line of the disc goes uh, from superior to inferior. So you need to bring your elbow out and you actually need to drive drive it a little bit down. Mm-hmm. And then as you move up the spine, if you're going to do more inside posture through uh, the lumbars, you need to be more or less straight at the L3. And then you need to lift much more when you come up to L1 or, 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 or T12. In addition to the facet joints, that you also have the plane line of the disc there because it's going to help you. Because if you can stay parallel to the plane line of the disc, it's much easier to adjust. And, and another thing, not all people have a perfect spine. Mm-hmm. You know, and especially <laughs> with the, our uh, elderly patients, they are really kyphotic. And there's no way you can get any lordosis or real lordosis in their neck or, or in their lumbars. And then you need to envision where they are. And, and then those plane lines of those discs is not going to be the same mm-hmm. as like a neutral or, or young spine. And this is all stuff you need to, to kind of envision. How often should I look at the spine? <laughs> Uh, every, every every morning I should take a, before my first patient to take out the spine and put it down on the no, table. See, like. No, no. Um, it's nice to have it close to where you work. So sometimes you can glance over at it and stuff. Mm-hmm. But but it's you do this, you don't actually need a physical uh, spine in your hand because that's where the, the visualization comes, comes in. in. Yeah. Yeah. And you can actually envision this just in your brain and you can close your eyes if you want to or, or, or whatever. I learned something as a student uh, in the States. They, they talked about focus and intent. And, and when you're properly focused and, and you have a goal in mind of, of what you're going to do and you can, yeah, picture this in your head you don't need the physical spine but it isn't it, still after 31 years of practice i have my spine standing and sometimes i'll pull it off and i'll look at it for my own sake or i use it a lot to show the patients and it's a great tool for for patient education well i feel so weird when i'm in this position and like especially inside posture they're afraid they're going to fall off the bench yeah. or something and then sometimes i'll take the spine over and I, i'll show them why i have to do this how i have to roll it over they see on this plastic model why i do what i do and they're like okay i get it i'll, yeah. I'll be good I'll, I'll try and do my best you know so, so it's, it's a great tool yeah. you know to to kind of also enlighten the patients. How about speed? Is there um, a shortcut? <laughs> so <laughs> Practice important. speed. <laughs> I know that is super important. <laughs> you know, I used to do track in, as a kid, you know, and, and I was a, <laughs> actually I was a decathlete, but I was best at like sprinting and, and explosive stuff. So that goes hand in hand with chiropractic. For me, when people, they're chiropractors and they want to become the best chiropractors they can, what they train is ultra marathon or long distance road road biking or swimming and you know what i think those are wonderful things that people should do if they really really enjoy them but it doesn't stimulate the part of the nervous system that you need to stimulate if you want to become as quick as possible because the quicker we can be in the delivery of our uh, adjustments the less force we need and it's also going to be more comfortable for for the patients and as we grow older there are two main things that take place and it's you lose muscle mass i mean as a doctor Mm -hmm. oh the patient does too Uh, (laughs) (laughs) and the the other thing is the other thing is speed and Mm -hmm. coordination and we need as chiropractors if we want to really be on top of the game we need to stimulate this the whole time Mm -hmm. and actually just by doing the work we do every day we stimulate that more than the regular people but i also do specific exercises when i'm in the gym where i go 
fast with my concentric moves and slow with my eccentric moves uh, because those two things really stimulate what we call the the, the fast muscle fibers mm. or, or the, the newer muscular connection between the fast... Uh, uh, c- uh, could you give an example of something I could do? If you do, for example, push-up, and mm-hmm. you don't have to do it on the floor, which could be really, really hard, but you can do it at an angle uh, against the wall. Yep. Yeah. And then I always tell my, uh, when I instruct people to do this, that when they lower themselves in towards the wall, they should spend more time going towards the wall than when they go out again. I have them go really slowly towards the wall and then they explode and push as hard as they Mm -hmm. can. So you kind of swing out really quick. And you need to be at an angle where you don't fall on your butt, (laughs) you know. (laughs) But uh, you also have to be at an angle that is not like if because if you're on the floor this is really hard to do yeah. to actually be able to yeah. push yourself up faster than than lowering it but the strong ones they can do that or they can clap they they can push and clap and uh because that that gives you that really okay, so, fast so concentric yeah. uh, so in the push-up you you push and you clap, clap and, and then you yeah, clap, that's yeah. a that's a way of doing it to, to make sure you have enough yeah. explosive Explosives, force yeah. And every time I walk through a door, uh, the way I <laughs> turn the door, I, I mean, I do this with everything I do. And it sometimes scares my wife and people around me because I can't, it feels a little bit abrupt. But it's just I always play with stimulating this, mm-hmm. uh, these uh, things. Mm. On that note, as, <laughs> <laughs> as we are growing older and become slower and less muscle mass, what is the or uh, oldest chiropractor you have met that are s- is still in practice and give great and good adjustments. Oh, um, it was th- that's um, that's interesting. I just met this Swiss chiropractor a few days ago because I was down in Lugano and I taught chiropractic technique to the Swiss Chiropractic Association. And this 84-year-old chiropractor walks over and he goes, "I'm the oldest practicing uh, chiropractor in." Uh, Switzerland and and I still enjoy it and you know he was done one of those vibrant fun uh, older gentlemen you know that you could see his eyes were beaming and he thought this was so much fun and and this is the kind of 84 year old I I'd like to be yeah. I've known people in Norway that were past 90 and they still practiced on their friends and family and neighbors and they didn't have an official practice anymore you know but it was it was a lifestyle mm. you know but it's it's kind of, and you know this too, it's it's hard work and it's hard on your shoulders and your back. So unfortunately, a few of us will have to throw in the towel a little bit too early in their career because they're actually worn out. But if you really, really enjoy what you do, if you stay in okay physical health and take care of yourself as a doctor, we should be able to practice way into our retirement age if we want to closing off how long time or how much time will it take i'm an okay adjuster i've been working for two years i know how to find the um, um, subluxations and i start now to visualize and i start doing exercises (laughs) on the average how long will it take for me to become a good adjuster oh you know that some people pick up this like crazy when they're students and they just seem to have a knack for it others are born with more of 10 with more like 10 thumbs you know and and they never really become brilliant 
we can all become better. Sometimes I think we make things a little bit too hard for us because uh, too many of us visualize the adjustment as a form of acceleration. And with acceleration, you start with the speed of zero and then your speed is at the highest at the end of the acceleration. That is really hard to do, especially if you're in a low back area and stuff like that, to try and muscle or accelerate a vertebrae into position that is hard. Mm. What we can do is to let Newton or gravity help out. If you walk into a, a, a pelvic bench, the patient is on the side. If you walk in tall, you carry a lot of potential energy. And what you can do is to let your upper body, or actually a little bit of the whole body, start falling towards the ground. And then you abruptly break uh, what happens then, it's not an acceleration, but it's actually this abrupt braking mm. that gives the adjustment. And where is the speed the highest when you brake? In the beginning. So, instead of having to muscle something in place, you're already there, close to the paraphysiological space. And the only thing you need to do is like, it's like you... Uh, as the chiropractor is more like the one pool ball, you know, that hits the other pool ball, which is the the, uh, the patient segment. And you you don't need a lot of force or anything like that. And you have the speed, you have the momentum, you have everything you need. And it's all delivered to you by Newton, you know. Mm. <laughs> and and, and we, we put too much force and hard work into this. Be smart. And how long is it going to take for someone who's been out for two years? For someone, they'll be really good after two years and others will have to work for 20 more really <laughs> hard and intensely before they're at a place where I'd like to see them. Yep. They say you're a good uh, driver of a car after seven years. And I don't know who came up with this, but maybe that's, that's maybe, maybe seven years is like a, a magic good. number. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Thank you so much, uh, Atla, for sharing all your wonderful knowledge with me and all the listeners. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. And next week, we are going to talk about success factors. Oh, boy. Oh, boy to make it in practice. See you next week. Bye. Bye-bye.